Hello, fabulous listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Old Bodies Outside. I'm your host, Brian Peterson. Today, we are super fortunate to have two guests here to discuss trans athletes, Kristen Sunquist and Kim Coleman. Both Kristen and Kim represent Green Mountain Cyclocross, which is in Vermont. The mission of Green Mountain Cyclocross is to promote a vibrant and inclusive cyclocross community. The activism at Green Mountain Cyclocross is important because it helps break down many barriers and myths about trans athletes. Some of these myths include the participation of trans athletes hurts cis athletes, trans athletes' physiological characteristics provide an unfair advantage over cis athletes, sex is binary, apparent at birth, and identifiable through singular biological characteristics, and trans athletes need separate teams or categories. Those are all myths. You can check out more about Green Mountain Cyclocross. Their website is greenmountaincx.org, and you can check them out on Instagram at greenmountaincx. Kristen and Kim, thank you so much for joining us at All Bodies Outside. We are thrilled you're willing to join the podcast and discuss the inclusiveness of trans athletes. Uh, before we get started today, why don't we do some introductions? Okay. So I'm Kim Coleman. I'm a cyclocross racer from Wilston, Vermont, and I guess I'm the co-founder of the Green Mountain Cyclocross event and a team member on the race team. And I am Kristen Sundquist, um, originally from Minnesota, moved to Vermont 2018. I am one of the athletes on Green Mountain Cyclocross. Awesome. Well, thanks, you two, for joining. I really appreciate it. Before we get into our conversation of inclusiveness of trans athletes, I actually have some questions about cyclocross because I'm not very familiar with cyclocross. And so first off, let's just talk about cyclocross as a sport. Um, What is cyclocross and what do you love about it? Cyclocross is a weird sport. (laughs) Um, It's sort of like the steeplechase of the cycling world. So we race on bikes that look kind of like road bikes, but have knobbier tires. The frames have more tire clearance, so we can run bigger tires than a road bike to shed mud. There's some other differences with the frames that if you're not a bike nerd, probably won't be meaningful to you. So you can just know that it looks kind of like a road bike, but we're riding it off-road on grass and mud. And the race format is that there's a loop and you repeat that loop as many times as it takes for the total race time to be roughly an hour. Hmm. When you start, you don't know how many laps it's going to be. They throw up lap cards about halfway through. And there's all these obstacles that you either have to hop over or ride through or In a lot of cases, there will be forced runs where you have to dismount and shoulder your bike. There's barriers. Um, So it's it's kind of like a weird, fun, um, exhausting. It's very much like sprint corner, jump off your bike and run, jump back on sprint corner, high intensity, super fun, super muddy, done in the fall and winter. So it's always like cold and wet. And, you know, I think we question our life choices some weekends. (laughs) <laughs> definitely so, so it sounds like cyclocross is it is it is it is the winter aspect of it still going on um what they just had the world cup i think Wor- world, world championships like, yeah sunday this past sunday and yeah this past week so and- yeah it goes from november well sometimes august um early races all the way till february um, wow. so it's a long season um it's usually done in like, you know, Central Europe, Belgium. So it's a little warmer, uh, less snow, but more mud coincidentally. And yeah, it goes very late. Yeah. Well, the mud so- sounds kind of fun. So is, is it, is the entire, uh, cyclocross is it the lap, is it all off road? Um, it's a mix. It's like, I, I think there's rules where it has to be so much pavement, asphalt, gravel, grass. Um, I don't know, Kim, do you know specifics on that? No, if Ben were here, he would know the exact (laughs) rules, but there, there are rules about, um, and even the off-road segments, like the, there's like rules about how narrow it can be. 
Um, mm. Some races will have sand pits. That's not a requirement, um, but it's common. Um, the um, it's I would say that like it's more off road than pavement. It's more grass, mud, narrow strip of single track than pavement. But there's always a little bit of pavement. Um, yeah, and the, there's often a sand pit just for funsies. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like there's and, like, a lot of funsies. <laughs> There's a lot of funsies and that's kind of like one of the things that kind of drew me to cyclocross in the beginning was just like the fun attitude around it. Like people coming in, bringing whatever kind of bikes they ride. Like I started out on a road bike that could barely fit like, you know, 30 C tires uh, and I still had a blast. So it's very inclusive in that way and kind of more so than a lot of other disciplines of cycling. Like, you know, recently... I don't know, 2016, I think, is when they started doing, like, equal payouts for men and women. But that's, like, scores ahead of road cycling where, like, we just got the Women's Tour de France back in, you know, 30 years. The last one was wow. in, you know, the 90s. Um, and they still don't have equal stage lengths or equal payouts. Mm -hmm. and, and what's the, the, the community what, – what, what's the community – like a description of the community of the cyclocross community. What are they, what's it comprised of? What types of groups are there uh, participating? Um, I feel like it kind of depends on the region. Um, it is dominated a lot by uh, men, mostly, uh, and a lot of, you know, straight folks. Um, when, if you go to like Oregon and like, you know, California on the West Coast, they have a very, I think, more inclusive environment. Um, they have, you know, very large contingencies of non-binary races. Um, whereas, like, we're kind of starting to push that, especially with our race. Um, and, you know, the national championships this year had the first ever non-binary championships. So we're getting there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not quite all the same. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for listeners to know that there is like still the grassroots cyclocross scene that, that I think is where things really started in the U.S. where you bring the whatever bike you have and you can race in shorts and people are taking beer hand ups. Um, but it, there, it also has become a really competitive um, scene. And I think the majority of races around the world are sanctioned by one of a handful of governing bodies, right? So there's the UCI, which is this international, the Union Cycliste International, International, um, and they, um, you know, are governing cycling on the world stage, and that includes cyclocross. So they're in charge of ranking athletes and saying who gets into the World Cups and who can go to World Championships. And then within every country, there's sort of like a, the national version of that. And so for us, it's USA Cycling or USAC. And I would say the vast majority of races in our region are governed by one of those two bodies. And that sets a different tone than sort of like the grassroots scene. So it really depends on if the, I think if the race that you're going to is sanctioned or unsanctioned, it's going to feel different. There's going to be different people there. And like, if you're going to a weekend, that's a UCI weekend, like there's going to be professional racers there who live the professional athlete life, right? Like that are hitters and that like, they're there to compete, not drink beer and race in shorts. Um, so, so the scene varies, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Sorry, back yeah. to the to the West Coast, they also have their own, well, at least in Oregon, uh, they don't go by the US, uh, USAC system. They have OBRA, which is the Oregon Bike Racing Association, and they have been able, because they're smaller, to kind of expand these gender diverse categories. Mm. Um, and that's exciting to see. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of just uh, differences between the grassroots and the sanctioned. Um, and the sanctioned, with it being sanctioned, are there some exclusionary stuff going on there? In the yeah, so what's going on there? Um, so when it comes to elite level racing, that's so there. There are categories in racing uh, starting at Cat Five, which is kind of like novice beginners, and then all the way Cat One to 
Elite Pro that is uh, often guided by UCI's rules. Um, and those are kind of determined by the IOC, but as we've seen, the IOC has kind of left it to these individual sports governing bodies to make rules. Hmm. Um, and sometimes that results in outright bans of trans people, um, trans athletes. So USAC follows at the elite level the UCI rules. Um, yes. <laughs> Which are very restrictive. They are. Um, and more evidence-based. Yeah, and so one of the questions that I, I did want to ask today, I think that our last little piece of conversation kind of flows right into it. So I'm going to ask this question. Um, so the question I had was trans athletes have been participating in sports for as long as sports have been around. Why is mm -hmm. it that this is suddenly um, an, a, just a, an issue that you're seeing in politics? There's all kinds of leg legislation. I mean, 2023, 2022, 2021, we saw tons of legislation. Why is this only an issue when trans athletes have been in sports for as long as sports have been around? I think part of it is just the increased visibility that we have, um, that there's kind of now a backlash against that. Um, and also maybe some sort of distraction from other things going on that, um, you know, people don't want to think about, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, Kim, do you have anything? I don't know. I was thinking about this and, um, one of the things that I think has happened in cycling is that this is, I'm just talking about cycling, um, because I'm not actually very active in other sports communities, but I think that when I started racing bikes, there weren't even, there weren't that many women period. And as that number has increased in cycling, the increase of women has included both cis women and trans women as it should. And so th I think that the issue is more prominent in cycling than it was 10 years ago, just, just by virtue of the sheer numbers. That has nothing to do with why it's on the national stage more now than it used to do. My my inclination is that Kristen's inclinations are correct, but I mean, I really don't know why there's more anti-trans legislation now or why people suddenly care about trans folks being on participating in competitive sports. Now you're hundred percent right. This is not a new thing. We could talk about lots of historical examples. Um, even within cycling, actually, there are like, a couple athletes that have been in the pro peloton for like their whole careers that are like coming around to like retirement age um that historically were like widely accepted so yeah i think i think kristen's inclinations are correct and and then i think that just women cycling is growing and so we're seeing more folks and overall yeah, and I think this the, this takes us to how people are conceptualizing gender, um, and they're they're seeing it as this is like it's this, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that's a social construct. Um, and so, um, first off, would either of you like to just kind of explain to the audience what does that mean that gender is a social construct? Construct. Um, that is a a very big. Thing, you know, it takes <laughs> gender studies classes for years to <laughs> come up with a good answer for that. But, you know, um, like gender sex is a spectrum, even like genetic sex, it's not two clear cut things. It's like, you know, bell curves that intersect. Um, there's this thing like <laughs> this talking point of like, someone were to dig my skeleton up in, you know, a hundred thousand years, they would, you know, see my skeleton as this. But the thing is like, um, if you take this group of skeletons, uh, and put them into categories, there isn't going to be, say you have 50, there's not going to be 25 and 25. There's going to be like 10 and 10 that 
people define as male and female. And then there's going to be all these ones in the middle that meet some traits of one and some traits of the other, but you know, it's not clear cut. It is a spectrum. And that's um, even true at, down to the genetic level. Like I think in very, very basic biological terms, right? It's, it's not true that some people have, you either have an X and Y chromosome or two X chromosomes, right? Like that's, that's just not accurate. There's a lot of other combinations that people have, and it's like a pretty large percentage of the human population that doesn't have one of those two things. So even if we're just talking about biological sex, it's not a binary. Mm -hmm. The, the social construction piece is that like we as human beings, in order to make sense of the world, put each other in buckets, right? And we do this with all kinds of things. We do this with racial groups. We also know that race is a social construct, right? And it, it's fluid and it changes. The who is considered white today is not the same as who is considered white 100 years ago, right? On US census forms, just as an example. We do the same thing with gender because it's how our brains make sense of the world. And so we put people into these buckets, but the buckets are arbitrarily constructed and much like race have shifted over time. And so it's just important to note that, that <clears throat> that's how, that's where these definitions come from, right? They're how our brains make sense of the world. The biology is much more complicated than that. And people's lived experience and identities and how they see themselves in the world it's much more complicated than like two buckets that we're using to simplify, you know, the broader population at large. Right. It's, it's simplifying a, a heterogeneous type of population. There's a lot of heterogeneity in there. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's way an oversimplification. Um, and so I think like, you know, connecting that over, I think this connects to the importance of, Queering cyclocross and queering other sports, um, and the deconstruction of heteronormative culture. Um, and so, what I mean by queering cyclocross is that uh, you know being inclusive of fluidity, of change, of of everyone. And one of the things that is tough with the word queer is it was such a historical slur for a long time. But I love that it's being reclaimed. It's being mm -hmm. reclaimed as a, an inclusive term. And so I don't know if uh, either of you want to kind of talk about the importance of that in cyclocross. We were talking about this last night and we felt like our motivation was really that like, we love this sport and we love this community and we want everyone to be able to participate in it. And that's just not the case now. Like if you're a non-binary person, often there's not a race for you, for example, or if you are a trans woman who doesn't meet USAC or UCI rules and regulations for participating in the women's categories, you're forced to either race under an identity that doesn't resonate with you and doesn't value you, or you don't get to participate. And we just didn't feel like that was right and wanted, couldn't sit by. We wanted to do something to change that because cycling has a lot of benefits, right? There's a lot of good that comes out of it and everybody should have access to that. And right now it's far from the case. And there, there's a lot of other reasons that people don't have access, right? It's expensive. It's majority white. It takes a lot of time to train. There's a lot of travel involved. So this is just like one dimension of the work that needs to happen to make cyclocross open to, to more people, but it's an important dimension. And we wanted, we wanted to do something to, take steps towards opening it up. I don't know if you have other thoughts, Kristen, about like the importance of it. Yeah. I mean, kind of back to your point, like kind of sport is a fundamental human, right? Like what is sport? It's, it's just like structured playtime for people, which is, you know, necessary for mental health, for brain development, for building of community. Um, and yeah, we all deserve access to that. Um, and, you know, at the same time, when people don't see people who look like them in sport, they think that opportunities for them doesn't exist. Um, so just simply being present and being a part of that and being a marginalized identity will show other people of that identity that it is possible. 
You know, it's unfortunate that we should tell our listeners that there's like um, another co-founder of GMCX, which is my husband, Ben Coleman. And the whole, he's not here today because we have a sick child. Um, but the whole idea of this really came from the fact that Ben had been part of a lot of junior development programs growing up and raced cyclocross from a really young age and realized like how important it was for him to have mentors and for him to have like programming to plug into. And that like, it's not so much that a lot of people find their way to the sport, but a lot of people also are like pulled into the sport. And that if we're not actively doing that, we're just going to perpetuate the same community participating. And so I think a lot of it was like, well, I'm just, I know how I got in here and it's other people are only going to get in if I'm, if I do that, the thing that happened for me, for them. Yeah. And that kind of touches on to a point of like using our position of privilege to uplift other marginalized voices. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, you know, something that we need to be doing all of us. Absolutely. Sure. I think it's really important to use our position of privilege to leverage that change. And I think, you know, Kristen, like you said before, like sports is structured playtime, like it, people should have access to it. And, you know, people's perceptions of access diminishes really greatly when they don't see other people like them out there participating. Um, and so at Green Mountain Cyclocross, what types of uh, things are being done with Green Mountain Cyclocross to be more inclusive? Yeah, I can talk about maybe some of the race things. And then Kristen, you could talk about some of the team things. Sure. So we, in addition to running a race team, host an annual um, race ourselves, and it's in Vermont, um, and formed a nonprofit uh, to, to do this work. And, you know, right from the get-go, it was really important that we had um, trans representation on our board. Ben spent a lot of time working with a local advocacy group um, to help us come up with the appropriate language and to outreach to that community and get feedback on the language and, and the steps that we were taking. And it's, I think it's really important to note that like Ben and I as like co-founders of this are both cis het white people. And so we have trans friends, but that's, we don't, it's not our lived experience. And so like just acknowledging that from the beginning and like letting trans folks and advocacy groups in the community take the lead or be open when they're saying like, no, that language is not correct. We would really like you to change it. And honestly that happened. Like there was a period where we had like our original language was women trans femme. And we had a whole big conversation about using gender diverse and, and what it meant. And so I think like from just from the beginning, being really thoughtful about like whose voices are being put to the forefront and how are we making sure that the right voices are being put to the forefront. And then in terms of the race, it was also really important that we were talking about this last night too, as we were preparing for this of Ben felt really strongly that we needed to have a non-binary category and when he went, we are a sanctioned USAC race. And so when he went to USAC about that, he didn't say, hey, can we do this? He said, we're having a non-binary category. Do you want to sanction it? Or do you want me to run it separate from the sanctioned event? And so I think just being really strong in, he has consistently been really strong in the fact that like, we're having a non-binary category. They're going to get equal time on the course as the elite men and women. They're going to get equal payout to the elite men and women. And it's not a, an add on. It's like how it should be at every event. It's not that way right now, but we're going to show that it's possible. And I don't want to hear all of this stuff from other race promoters that like, I can't fit it into the schedule or like there's too many races during the day. And like, I can't have them on course. So I blah, blah, blah. Like I'm showing people that it's possible and I'm not, I'm not even going to entertain the idea that it's not. Um, and then I think we've done like a lot of outreach to make sure that like both trans athletes and non-binary people who identify as non-binary can come and have a space there. Like we're at, it's not enough to just have a category or to have a mission statement. We have to like actually go out and talk to people and tell them that they're welcome to come to the event and that we would love to have them there. And I, I think we've done at least we probably need to do more legwork on that, but we've, we've gotten a good start. And 
we did double participation in the NB category in the second year of the event. So that was super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think it's just given us a platform to both like talk to event sponsors about this issue, talk to participants about this issue. My dad is a photography photographer and he shoots the race event. And like, it's been really cool to see him in his, you know, in his seventies, like learning so much about this and like becoming an advocate for it. Um, so I think it's been a platform for conversation as well. And then of course the team, which I'll let Kristen talk about. Um, yeah, the team, uh, simply just like being visible and being present at, you know, these big race events with our, you know, progressive pride flag incorporated in our logo flying, you know, progressive pride flags around just kind of being a beacon of visibility, um, again, showing uh people that it it's possible like there's representation here um and that we are trying to create a safe space for these people to come into um because i know when i go to races sometimes and i don't like the other people like me um i'm you know scared like is somebody gonna try and start like a fight with me um am i gonna be welcome here um, and so just being that for others, uh, goes a long way. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think Chris also our team is built on mentorship. So it, Kristen and I both race elite. And then this year we had two juniors who raced the UCI junior category, which is like the elite category if you're 17 and 18. So they don't throw you like right in with the big dogs. Um, and it's been cool this year to see the two juniors that we, that we two mentored, like I was telling Kristen last night, one of them learned so much about this topic throughout the year, but also just to be like, to show them what it looks like to be an athlete advocate. And like, one of them will be racing elite next year and the elite field is not going to know what hit them. That kid is talented. Um, and so to have somebody who's probably going to get like she was on TV because she was on the junior national championship um, podium this year, but to someone who's probably going to like get airtime to be giving them the language. I think I'm excited to see where that goes um, to equip like the next generation with like the vocabulary and the advocacy framework and to let them know that like, it is not out of your lane as an athlete to be an advocate. Right. Right. It's not out of your lane to, uh, foster, you know, and be, be an ally and foster allyship. Um, right. you know, I, th I think it, it's super important. Uh, Kristen, you, you know, being a beacon of light, um, is, is awesome, but also challenging. Right. And you touched a little bit on, you know, if you go to races where you don't see other people like you, like there could be mm -hmm. overt aggressions, there could be microaggressions and navigating mm -hmm. all of that. That's a ton of anxiety and scary and feelings of, you know, being unsafe. Um, does that something that, helps you decide what races to, uh, compete in? Yeah. Um, like recently I've been trying to decide on whether or not I want to go to the Mid-South gravel race. Um, I've done some projects with Bobby, the, the race organizer, and he invited me to come out and race, um, a ride. I don't know how well I will race in that. I'm not much of a gravel. It's very long. <laughs> it's very long. How many miles? Um, like a hundred miles. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah. So like six hours or cyclocross is like an hour. So, <laughs> um, yeah, trying to navigate, like, especially cause Oklahoma has some pretty terrible anti-trans legislation. Um, a lot of it is kind of directed towards students, unfortunately, and that doesn't quite affect me but it's kind of like a litmus test of what it might like what it might be like on the ground there um so I reached out to like molly cameron because she knows a lot of people on the ground and got in contact with you know a lot of queer folk that are going to be there um and that kind of just like you know uh calmed my nerves a little bit and you know i'm trying as hard as i can to get a get a a plane there and get housing because I, I want to be there and I want to show up mm -hmm. um, despite all those hardships. 
And I think you're right. I, I live in Kansas and I know that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough in the Midwest. Um, and it, it's the, the Midwest is, um, can be very challenging at times, but I think, you know, one of the things I really love that Kim said earlier was your board has representation. And a lot of times we see with different nonprofits, organizations, agencies, they say, Hey, we want to be inclusive. We want to be, you know, promote diversity. We want to have diversity, but they don't, put that diversity at the decision-making level um, where people are helping, you know, structure that whatever it is, nonprofit organization agency. And so kudos to green cyclo mountain cross for doing that. Um, that's cool that, you know, you have that on the board. Yeah. Also, also like just to give that board member credit since she's not here, the progressive pride flag integration into our logo, like our logo was just black and white until she said, mm. I have an idea, which like that, mm. And like our initial reaction was, we don't know how to make it happen because we're not graphic designers. And she was like, oh, come on, we can figure this out. Right. And like those, it, it makes a difference. Just to your point, like it makes a difference to have the people at the top be representative of the community that you're hoping to elevate, right. Or to, to support. Yeah. And look at how, you know, having that on the board now, look at the signals you're sending out, you know, having you know changing up your logo as you mentioned and whatnot like that sends a signal of inclusivity and that's really powerful um gosh you got me thinking though as we were just i, I got off into a digression of that and kristen we were talking about the midwest and i was like gosh the midwest needs more inclusive races it really does because it, it, it just helps you know every little yeah. every little ripple helps definitely um yeah i haven't growing up in minnesota kind of the midwest uh yeah. And being not a part of that for a while, it, I, I don't know very many other races there anymore. Um, so it's hard to, to speak on that. Um, yeah, anything helps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think it also helps with having trans athletes in these races. And so one of the questions I did want to ask was how does including trans athletes benefit everyone? And so, for example, maybe this could mean um, you know, if there was exclusion of trans athletes, that could lead to things like possible gender policing and whatnot. So how does including trans athletes benefit everyone? Um, yeah, so these like anti-trans policies usually only hurt women, all women. Um, you know, it's kind of reinforcing the thing the, the, the structure of that women can't successfully complete with men, compete with men, which is not true. Kim, you were talking about last night, like you in a, in a gravel race, you beat the majority of the men that are there. Um, sure. I do. <laughs> not just and, once. Like, not just once. I go to a gravel race. Nice. <laughs> um, these things just like reinforce this false dichotomy that, you know, women are inherently lesser than men, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it also kind of reinforces this, like, this white feminine beauty standards that if you don't fit, those people will accuse you of being trans or cheating in some way. Like we've seen this with like Castro Semenya and Serena Williams, like being accused of cheating because they look too masculine. They've Serena has undergone way more, you know, drug tests than her competitors are white counterparts um and you know caster was banned because of a you know genetic disposition um and that was based on someone being like hey you look really masculine you don't fit this beauty standard so we're gonna like police you um whereas like when we look at at men's sports these kind of genetic advantages or differences are celebrated um and Kim, you made up a, a great point last night about, um, you know, sport is inherently um, not fair. Um, those who have access to money, who have access to the time, the training, the coaches will have advantages over other people. Um, and companies even sell us on this, like, you know, Nike, like if you buy our shoe, you're going to go faster. Um so yeah, these things only hurt women, everybody in the long run. 
I totally agree. I think we accept that sport is inherently unfair as a society. Like nobody is arguing that everybody needs to race on the same cyclocross bike. And let me tell you, the quality of your equipment is a huge determinant in how well you race. If you have a super light bike that with a working drivetrain and the right grippy tires, you're gonna race way better than somebody with a super heavy frame, a drivetrain that's not shifting and the wrong tires, right? Like, or flat tires makes a huge, makes a huge difference. We accept that. We accept that there's unfairness and that it's not an equal playing field. And things like equipment and availability to coaching and to training time, they make, there's research that shows they make a bigger difference than, for example, testosterone, right? Nobody is arguing about whether or not we should have categories <laughs> based on how many hours a week you train. It would just be silly. Um, so I think that when we focus on something as reductionist as testosterone, we're ignoring what actually allows women to be successful in sport. And I think Kristen's point is important that like nobody's really talking, like nobody has really problems with trans men competing in bike racing. It's like really the focus is just on women. Um, and then I think the other thing is like that the overall messaging that Kristen was just bringing up of like, it insinuates that women are somehow lesser. I often think like I reflect on myself as doing endurance sports as like a teenager. And I, I know that I felt like I couldn't keep up with the boys. And I know that that came from messaging from adults. And I often wonder like how hard, how much harder would I have tried if I thought I could, right? Like how much mm. faster would I have been if I believed I could be up there and I pushed myself hard enough to be up there? And I don't know the answer to that, but I, I believe that your mental state is a huge part of performance and just believing that you can be there is a huge part of being there. And so I think that messaging universe, like it just universally hurts girls and women. The idea that like, we can't beat the boys, we can, we just need to be told that we can. Yeah. And I, I really like the point earlier that you know, say you take two athletes, one has uh, more testosterone than the other, but this athlete had access to a coach, maybe access to better gear, maybe more time to practice and train. This person likely is going to compete better. You know, and does. Like, In fact, like yeah. we, we have like, I can list you like, like battles between people in <laughs> like concrete races where that has played. Out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's, I think, you know, this, this point of our conversation is so important though, to underscore, and that is that including trans athletes benefits everyone. And especially is not going to, you know, create this, this weird thing around women participants and the messaging that goes into them. You know, Kim, you served in, uh, you had an example of that. Um, so it's very beneficial, uh, for everyone all around and going back to, you know, what you said earlier, Kristen, we do sports, it's structured playtime. You know, it's structured playtime and like, let's go have fun. And so yeah. I, I kind of got wrapped up in just the, the grassroots of cyclocross back in the day. I thought that sounded pretty cool racing in your jorts and having a beer after each lap or I don't know what you did, but <laughs> that sounded like a lot of fun. There'll be like heckle sections and people you'll like be racing and you come by and you got to like, and then throw it. Okay. <laughs> Someone will give you like saltine crackers and you'll eat it and your mouth will be really dry. And you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or remember well, no, like dollar bills used to be a thing like i don't feel like that's mm -hmm. a thing anymore people like if you were like off the back like you were losing really badly people yeah. would start like putting out money and you'd like grab a dollar bill and stick it in your spandex i did oh, that nice. at northampton last year i was handing out dollar bills so <laughs> i'm trying to bring it back <laughs> nice nice well i know i i do a bunch of ultra running and trail running and um there are some women out there that are uh, way more talented than men. I mean, they are competing strongly with the men out beating the men. And it's really cool to see, uh, mm -hmm. very cool to see. And there's probably some similarities between ultra marathons and cyclocross, although ultra marathons aren't, they don't have the sanctions, uh, different governing bodies that cyclocross mm -hmm. does have. Um, okay. So I, my next question is how does the perception that trans athletes have an advantage ignore the actual conditions of their lives and the stuff that they have to experience on a day-to-day -day basis. 
I feel like we should lay out the science a little bit first. Yeah. Or like what we know of the science. What do you think, Kristen? Yeah. I think, because I think that it's possible that we have people listening and they're, and they think, but don't they have an advantage? And so just so that everybody listening is on a level, like a baseline understanding there, there is not a ton of research on this, but there is some research on this. And essentially what it shows is that there's not a significant difference in performance between cis women and trans women. And that regardless of transition, testosterone does not confer the advantage that many people think it does. And it's really isolated to specific types of act, like testosterone confers advantage in really specific types of activities. And if this is confusing for you or you're hearing it for the first time, um, definitely like go to Google Scholar and, and search in trans athlete performance and you'll get some good resources. And there's also a great This American Life about this a couple of years ago that really goes through like, here's when testosterone matters and here's when it doesn't. But mm. I think the big takeaway is like the idea that trans women have an advantage in sport over cis women is a fundamentally flawed idea. And then I'll, you can, maybe I'll let you talk about how it hurts trans women or how it hurts everybody. It hurts everybody. Um, yeah, just same points that we kind of touched on with the last question. Um, and I don't know, like as trans women, like trans people, happens to trans men too. Um, we already face discrimination just in the world. Um, people not believing who we say we are um, and to, you know, continue to face that in another aspect of life, uh, another like fundamental human need uh, is just very difficult um, and discouraging. Um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and I think there there is some horrific statistics behind that. So looking at say trans students in high school, I think there's something like a, a very high percentage of dropout rate, a very high percentage of um, suicidal thoughts um, mm -hmm. and just all kinds of stuff that precipitates out of having just a horrible experience because no one's accepting you as you are who you are. Yeah. And you know, the studies on that, like if these kids are brought up in a welcoming family or an environment that rate drops off so dramatically. So mm. fostering a um, environment of acceptance, um, it's just like the best thing that we can do for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I also think like the idea, the idea that the, having, getting back to Kristen's idea that sport is a human right, like having community outside your home, that is a place that you can go and be safe. If your, your family is not that place, mm -hmm. let sports be that for kids. We know that students who are at risk of, um, suicidal ideation or thoughts about self-harm, that participation on sports teams reduces that as well. And so I think we were really, we really want cyclocross to be able to play that role for people. And it's important yeah, of support of community. Um, yeah. So that, that myth that trans athletes shouldn't be there, that it's unfair for them to be there, I think like creates a barrier to that support structure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you brought up a great point and, you know, Kristen, you brought up a great point, but not all kids are fortunate to have that at home. And so, you know, mm -hmm. they do need these outlets. And so it's great that, you know, that can be say at Green Mountain Cyclocross. It's really important. So kind of taking this back out here for people that, you know, are listening, they're cisgendered, they're binary. And they're like, Hey, like, I want to, you know, help out. I want to be an ally. What are some things, some strategies that they can do to kind of promote trans inclusion and allyship, um, at the community level and at their personal level? 
Um, just being aware, like Ken said, go on Google Scholar, look at some <laughs> studies, um, kind of dispel these myths that people talk about. Um, listen to trans and queer voices, amplify them if you have the platform to do so. Um, don't don't speak for these people, but let them speak. Um, even just kind of like signaling that you are a person, you know, like with a pride flag or um, even if you don't identify under that umbrella, um, it, it's still a signal that makes others feel safe. Um, Kim, do you have any other thoughts? I was just thinking about like what our conversations are like in our house around this. And um, I know that both Ben and I feel really strongly that like this is our lane because it has to be right. Like you, we can't expect trans folks to do all of the work on this. It's exhausting and it would be too heavy a burden to carry. And so if you're a cis person listening to this, like this is your fight and your moment is now. And then also I think like, I think like it can be scary to have hard conversations with peers who maybe have not thought about this as much, right? Like those courageous conversations. But honestly, since we've launched this team, there have been like a number of those conversations that I've had that have started rocky, right? Where people have had legitimate questions about trans women participating in women's categories. And I've been like, you know, like feeling my, pul my pulse in the roof of my mouth at the beginning of the conversation and like not sure where it's going to go. And I think if you lean into that, you'll find that actually people are willing to learn. I've had very few of those conversations actually go south. Mm. Most of the time they end up where someone's like, oh, huh, I had no idea. Cool. And so that work, if it feels uncomfortable for me and I feel my <laughs> pulse on the roof of my mouth when I'm having it, imagine like what yeah. it would feel to somebody who feels like their identity is being and their like sense of self is being threatened. So like we as cis people, Ben and I feel like we, it's really, it's our job to, to do that, to have those conversations and to be like a really proactive ally. Um, and then I think, yeah, Kristen, you said like, if, if you can like visually signal to people like, um, I raced nationals, Kristen pinned a banner on the, on like the top of the bottom, the top of my shorts or like the bottom of my Jersey that said, I stand with trans athletes. And I, I, I saw people pointing at it. So I think people see stuff like that and it makes a difference. I hope, um, maybe if you don't feel, maybe folks listening don't want to like wear, literally wear a banner on their backs. Um, but if like, I think little signals like that and add up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kim, I really like that you spoke to, Hey, this is everyone's fight. You know, this is exhausting yeah. for trans populations. Um, but let's do better as a community. Let's be inclusive. It's more fun. And honestly, I think we all benefit when there are differences, there's different perspectives, different types of people. Like it's so much more fun. Like you get to learn about different people. Oh, it's just fantastic. And so I think that going back to it's everyone's fight using your position to leverage change, it's really important. So I really appreciate you bringing that up, especially for our cisgendered uh, binary listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Is there any other points that Kristen or Kim you'd want to add in? Maybe just in, this conversation has focused, I think, heavily on women and trans women and trans women are women, women broadly. Um, <clears throat> because that, I think that's the fight in cycling, but trans men face similar issues throughout their lives and in sports as well. It just hasn't been the, I think the fight in cycling right now. And I don't want any listeners to think that like trans men have it easy cause they don't. Um, so I would just also encourage folks to like think about like whatever your sport is, there's, there's probably an element of this happening in it and, and to pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Kristen, any points you want to add before we conclude the episode? Um, yeah, don't just don't be, be neutral, whatever you do, because 
in like this river of discourse, neutrality will send you down the stream, <laughs> yeah. um, pushing the boundaries and pushing that stream in a different direction mm -hmm. uh, is what we need to do. Um, I think it's a wonderful point, Kristen. You know, I, it got me thinking of when people refer to race and they say, oh, I'm colorblind towards race. And then when you do that, you completely erase all the historical context. And it's like, there's so much historical context behind race. And so staying neutral, you're just going to flow down the river. And, yes. you know, I like the, I like the phrase, use your position to leverage change. Don't be neutral. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, this has been fantastic. Do you two mind if we conclude the episode with me just repeating the myths uh, that were stated in the introduction and we discussed throughout our conversation. Do you mind if I repeat those myths? Go ahead. Okay. So the four myths that I stated in the introduction, we discussed throughout our conversation. The first one is the participation of trans athletes hurts cis athletes. The second myth I stated was that trans athletes, physiological characteristics provide an unfair advantage over cis athletes. The third myth that I mentioned was that sex is binary apparent at birth and identifiable through singular biological characteristics. And the last myth that I mentioned was that trans athletes need separate teams or categories. Mm. Okay. Well, Kristen and Kim, thank you so much for joining all bodies outside and being vulnerable and discussing this topic that is needs a lot more attention. So I really appreciate that you came on to all bodies outside. Thanks, Thanks for having You're welcome. Okay. I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it an episode. Yeah.